Hey everyone, welcome to the Eagle Community Church of Christ podcast. I'm John Gunter, the preaching minister here at our church. We're so thankful that you've tuned in to our podcast again as we go through the book of Revelation. This week we talk about chapters 14 and 15 of like we've been doing every week. We read through those chapters and then discuss uh, the contents. Again this week we find the 144,000. What do we do with this? Is this the total number of people saved? Is this a remnant? What is this? We also deal with some messages that come from angels. And so a lot of interesting things, and I hope we can shed some light on uh, on what exactly is going on, and uh, hopefully we can give you some encouragement to live the Christian life. Again, we're so thankful that you've joined us. We hope you have a great week. Come and see us sometime. Well, I have enjoyed the worship today. Have you? It is... Uh... Still a little awkward for me to look up because I'm used to the room and now it's different. So if I get uh, get a little shaken up for a second, y'all just bear with me. So good to be with you this morning. We continue our study of Revelation uh, with a shorter reading this week as we read through Revelation chapters 14 and 15. Then I looked and there before me was the Lamb. Standing on Mount Zion, and with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's names, name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as firstfruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. And he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image for, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, 
with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia, or about 180 miles. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. Then I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and I saw in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Revelation 14 and 15. So just for a second, I want to kind of give us back the overview of what we have seen so far. When we open the book of Revelation, we start with the, the Spirit of God. Jesus is talking directly to the churches uh, here in Asia Minor. And, and so what Jesus says to them is very relevant, not only to them, but even to us today. Because a lot of what he says is, wake up and look at what you're doing. Now, some of them had done very well, even to the point of giving some, losing some of their faithful because of their faith to death, as some of them had not, had they? You get over into Revelation 3, and you see a church like Laodicea, where Jesus says to that church, you know what, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you are neither, I spit you out of my mouth. And we look at a, 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 an example like that, and we think, man, I hope that is not our church, Right? And so we, we kind of have this wrestling, we kind of have this moment of looking in the mirror in those first three chapters or so, and then all of a sudden John is in the spirit, and what God reveals to him is kind of this throne room scene with a lot going on, right? I mean, we're transported into this heavenly realm where there are beasts that, man, it would scare me to have that on a movie, right? 
And you have this, this throne room where people are singing, holy, holy, holy. But that's not all that's going on. The last few weeks, we've read about all of these beasts and dragon and, and these stories that kind of, okay, what is going on? And each week, we have kind of tried to reiterate that the big theme of Revelation over and over and what you've seen repeated is that there is a battle and God wins. But despite that, because of the power that people have seen from the enemy, from the beast or the dragon or whatever those things could stand for, people are drawn to that power. And even though things go wrong, people don't run back to God. Even though God blesses people, people don't run back to God. Even when things are going bad, no, people chase the power. Today, what you saw was uh, starting off with was a few angels giving these announcements. The first uh, was the angel and the gospel. Now, I know we're kind of drawn to the 144,000 to begin the first of this chapter, right? Anybody ever heard that this is like the totality of who all is saved, right? We met the 144,000 back in chapter 7, so if you want to go read about them again, uh, that is the part where you probably got bored with me saying, and the tribe of Dan, 12,000, and the tribe of Asher, 12,000, you know, all these things. And, and so what he's showing is, is the full tribe of David, uh, of, of these, of these uh, groups here, are represented. And so when we get to it here, you know, oh, 144,000 are back. Well, if you think that uh, this represents all people. There's a question for the angel who's proclaiming the gospel here. Because the angel seems to, to think that this is worth uh, its time to proclaim the gospel to the people of earth. That there is a time right now you need to know the good news and you need to make a change. And so that's why I think, and I shared with you back in chapter 7, uh, that uh, what we're talking about with 144,000 is a part of the remnant a part of the whole, uh, so to speak. And again, there's no reason to go and take 144,000 literally. Uh, that, that's not what Revelation does most of the time. So uh, this is just showing that this is a perfect. Remember, this is 12 times 12, right? So remember those numbers, three and a half, seven, 40 days, right? And 12 is a big number, right? Okay, and so what we see is this angel proclaiming the gospel, and of course, we know from previous chapters that, again, just because the gospel is proclaimed and people hear the good news and they see all the, the terrible things going on around them, they are not drawn back to God. And so what you see with the second angel is, is this uh, proclamation about Babylon has fallen. Did you catch that? Do you wonder what that is? Babylon has fallen. And so we've been talking about the, the power of the beast and the way that people have really pledged themselves to these other powers in the way that they have just assimilated into culture, okay? We talked week after week about how it wasn't just as easy as saying, no thanks, I don't want to serve that God, but it might depend on your livelihood and your ability to even pay for food to sit on your table. Because to do so, you had to align yourself with a group. If you were a craftsman, you had a, a craftsman guild, and that guild had, again, a patron deity of some other god. And so in this proclamation, this angel says, 
Babylon has fallen. Now, one thing you need to know is Babylon is used a couple of different ways, and it's it's usually symbolizing some country, right? And so it's used to uh, to symbolize or represent uh, Assyria. And right here, I think it is it is directly uh, talking to the people uh, to whom John is writing this book. That as they live their lives, Babylon right here is is probably Rome. Now that doesn't mean that we read it today and think Babylon. It can only be Rome, because Babylon could be Rome, Babylon could be America. Because if we are out chasing a power, uh, being drawn to a power that is not God, that is a power that we should not chase. And what the angel says is, you can chase that stuff, you can be in a culture, you can be in a situation which kind of draws you in or draws you away from God, But in the end, that is going to fall. And so if you are so drawn to that, just understand that that time is fleeting. Because all of these people who have been drawn to all of these evil powers feel like because of the signs, do you remember how the the beast uh, drew down this fire from heaven in front of everyone? Kind of this wow moment where right now in front of me, I see all of this power Who can touch this beast? Who can do anything like this beast? Who can come up against this beast? Remember, even the beast had what appeared to be this mortal wound on one of its heads. Isn't that weird? It appeared to have one of these uh, mortal wounds on its head, but it it had healed. And, And so what the enemy tries to do over and over is just appeal to you to say, this is where it is. This is the awesome power. I have it, and it's right in front of you. How many of you have gone through, maybe you're in this time right now where you feel like God is far away from you? It's okay. God's a big boy. He can handle it. And that's, and that's really what, what Satan plays on. That's what the beast plays upon when he comes to you, is look at what all you can have right now. Where's God in all of this? Remember, going back to even Adam and Eve, the serpent attacks with the way, did God really say, will you really die? And the answer was not immediately, right? And so let me slip in a little bit of truth. Let me show you a little bit of something, a little bit of wisdom, or a little bit of feeling that I can have that same kind of power, and then we are drawn to that. But what John sees right here is that Babylon will fall. And so if we are chasing something that is not God, understand it's got a shelf life. Uh, The angel says this, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Now understand that that's not just talking about sexual sin. Remember uh, that the Bible, Scripture uses this kind of language to talk about idol worship, that, that you are prostituting yourself to something else. You understand? This is not just talking about, hey, the the nation made you commit adultery. That's not what this is. But because of the nation's power and influence and and the way it is structured, people have fallen into uh, this worship of other gods, other deities, other beings, other images, and away from the one true God. The third angel gives this warning. 
Back to, and this is a little bit longer, back to verse 9. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, excuse me, and its images and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Stay right there just a second. Have you noticed yet that uh, there is no middle ground here? You have either uh, you know, chosen God, you have either chosen to bear his name, to uh, metaphorically have his name written on you, or you have chosen this mark of this beast, this mark of this evil. You know, there is no third party here where, you know what, they were kind of, well, they did all right. We don't see that, do we? I don't know if that makes you comfortable or uncomfortable. I don't know what that does for you this morning. But, but it's like God is asking you to choose him. Notice this is not written and, and said where God is just going after people to go after them. He says, you have chosen this. You have chosen to bear this number, to bear this name on your life. Paul leaned over to me uh, before he sang one of the songs. Y'all notice we sang number 666 this morning? (laughs) He probably didn't announce it to you guys because you wouldn't have sung it. I don't know. It's a good song. I think it's a good way to redeem the number, right? But you choose in that moment. It's not as if we walk through life and just kind of go with the flow and just kind of end up where we end up. There's a choice to be made, a proactive idea here. And so when we read through this, again, this is something that we have to be thinking about all the time. Do I choose this power? We don't think about it as choosing this beast or this evil, do we? Because the things out here that that influence us and that are really attractive to us, because they are attractive, don't seem that bad, right? It's the same reason that Jesus is telling these churches you should not have acted this way and kind of assimilated into this culture. Because, yeah, the the people were saying, you know what, idols aren't anything, and that's true, right? But they kept associating themselves with these things. And so in doing so, they chose to be a witness for this greater evil instead of for God. Because you have to think of the converse. Because had they not chose to kind of fit in in that way, they would have really stood out for God. And how many of us are kind of scared to stand out in the crowd? Now, they've done research studies where um, they'll have a bunch of people who are kind of actors in a room, and they will ask an easy question, and one person in there will, will not be an actor. And if everyone else votes for a certain answer, you're very likely to vote with them even though you know it's wrong. How many of you are like that? Like, I don't know. I remember in, in second grade, I had a, a buddy who we all, everyone in the class thought the answer was wrong except my buddy. He's like, yeah, no, I, this is it. And we're over there kind of snickering, you know? 
And then my teacher uh, looks at him and says, you're the only ones that got it right. That hurt my feelings because I like to be right. Anybody else? <laughs> I like to be right. I like to get the right answer. And so what John is being shown here by God is you need to choose the right answer. How many different ways can God show us over and over and over this is what's going to happen? There is a battle. God wins. You better pick a side. And again, don't be stupid. Over and over and over. After the angels uh, stop with their uh, announcements, what we get to is this idea of this harvesting. This is, this is kind of scary for me. <laughs> because what we see in this moment is, is not a, uh, a peaceful time of harvest, is it? We, I think we think of the end of the world. We, we think of you know, the trumpet playing and meeting Jesus in the air as all, all just a, a really kind of nice, uh, smooth, very cuddly image. Got a, got a nice filter on it, you know, a warm filter. But part of the end of times is not only people being harvested or saved to salvation, but being harvested and taken for judgment. It's a very difficult thing, I think, that we read here that, that all of a sudden, okay, it is time. And it says the sickle goes and it's harvested. It's done. Jesus has already said that I come like a thief in the night, right? I come like a thief in the night. It is done. It is over. People are harvested and taken, not because God's angry or mad at them, but because they chose to not be with them. They chose some other way, and it gives you this imagery of, of this wine press. It's kind of gross, isn't it? It's kind of gross, and it's kind of sad. Because, like I said, it, it, it projects this image of 180 miles of chest-deep blood. Again, because people chose to worship something other than God. And so if we're not asking ourselves the question, where am I in this? I don't know what we're doing. Because when that day comes, that day of judgment, I hope to, that it is a glorious day for me and mine and all the people I love, right? But the sad fact is, just as we have seen throughout Revelation, is no matter what happens, people are not going to choose God. Some people are not. And I think the scary thing is for us is that for some of us, we have lied to ourselves about our way of life for so long. We have tried to make those actions seem right or seem holy that now we have lied to ourselves so long that we don't even know that we're on the wrong path. We have justified ourselves over and over. That idol is nothing. That power is nothing. I can quit anytime. And now we sit here fooling ourselves in the ways that we have given our life over to something other than God. When harvest is coming. And again, it's very difficult for me to think about that day and think about it as a very negative thing as well. That's what God says is there's a battle going on. Pick a side. What we see in the 144,000 I hope none of you ladies were offended when we read through that section. Let's see if I put the scripture. I did not put the scripture in there. Uh, but what you heard, there was 144,000. Uh, they were pure because they had not defiled themselves with women. Yeah, ladies. 
And so if you read that literally, you could say, well, women are nasty. No, you wouldn't do that. Or, or you could think that the 144,000 were all men, right? Defiled themselves with women. Well, that's, that's not what's going on here. You can see this. And we don't use this language so anymore, so it's a little maybe difficult for us. But you can think about this 144,000 as just a whole group of people, men and women, okay? Uh, boys and girls, men and women. And, and so what they have in this moment is this idea of this, this battle going on. So not being defiled by women, that would be a, a normal case for someone going to war. Remember the David and Bathsheba incident? where David brings Uriah home and tries to get him to sleep with Bathsheba. And what does he do? He won't do it. Because he was a, he was a, a, a man of integrity and of war. He, there were going to be no distractions. He had to focus on the task at hand, which is the lesson we need to learn from this 144,000. Not trying to figure out who the 144,000 are. I want to be a part of that. But to look at this and realize and what God is showing John is that these are the people that were focused. These are the people that wouldn't let anything get in their way. Now, again, Revelation uses some language that sounds like these are just perfect people. It says, you know, no lies are found in their mouth, you know, all of this stuff. Does Jesus know that you sin? Yes, he does. Scripture is full of, uh, of places where it says, you know what, if you say you do not sin, you are a liar, right? These are not actually perfect people. These are people who are so focused on God and his power and getting to live a life for him that all of the ups and downs kind of go away because I am God's. His grace covers us. It's not a life of perfection because I'm great. It's a life of ups and downs and, and, and man, we got to get through this. But because I have chosen to bear the name of Jesus, because I've chosen the name, uh, the name of God, I'm his. And the other option is not just kind of hanging out and going with the flow. The other option is bearing this other mark, this mark of evil, this mark of the beast, this mark of Satan himself, chasing what could be or what could look very attractive and very powerful in the moment and exchanging that for eternal security and salvation, living with God, singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Chapter 15 starts with this view of, again, this, this sea of glass, this kind of imagery of uh, God saving the Israelites from Egypt. It actually says that they sang the song of Moses which is about deliverance, which is praising God for taking us out of this stuff, kind of giving you the imagery of God is faithful because remember what he did for these people. And so for us, we didn't walk through the Red Sea, but I bet you've had some many Red Seas in your life. You've had some moments where I don't know, I've got water in front of me and a lot of trouble behind me. What do I do now, God? God, it doesn't seem like you're with me right now. How am I going to get through this? And God got you through it. You didn't know how. You didn't know why. It wasn't up to you. You couldn't see the way around it, but God got you through it. 
And that's a reminder that God is faithful, and that's what he is showing the people right here. He is faithful to deliver them. And so the 144,000, the focused people, the people of battle, the people have fought the fight. Did you you notice that in both in 13 from last week, in chapter 13, and in chapter 14 from this week, it has this phrase, this calls for patient endurance for the saints for the people of God. I don't like that phrase any more than anyone else. Because as I've said before, you don't patiently endure through all the good times, do you? Man, I have gotten so much money lately. I don't know how I'm going to get through it all. (laughs) The Lord has blessed my family with so much health, I don't know what to do. Do I pray for something bad to happen? Or do I just patiently endure? Because again, the imagery that we see in Revelation over and over is that we are going to go through things. The 144,000 are there. They weren't protected in a way that they just lived life and, and had this freedom and they were free from any kind of earthly problem. They are there because they were focused and they were patiently enduring all the things that this life has. And that's something, that's a lesson that we need to learn each and every day. Nobody wants to pray for patience, do you? I think last time I talked about this, my favorite, favorite Facebook meme is just someone praying to God. God, would you bless me with patience? No. Not ability, not opportunities to be patient. I've had plenty of those. Just bless me with patience. But through these trials, and though these trials happen, though these problems happen in our lives, at our jobs, in our marriages, or among brothers and sisters sitting across the aisle from one another this morning, though those things happen, God is in control. Though those things happen, and though evil would like to spread among us like a wildfire, God wins. And we have to be a church that decides which one of those we want to follow. Because again, there is no middle ground. There is no easy way that I just, I don't have to pick a side. No, you have to pick. Because you are wearing a name You are wearing a name right now, and is that the name of the beast, or is that the name of Jesus Christ? Because if you're sitting here right now and you are wearing the name of Jesus Christ, you have that relationship with him that you are a saved person, and what a wonderful day that is. But we don't just wear that name and sit back and and wait. We wear that name... And we also go to battle each and every day because, as Revelation has shown us, there is a battle going on. There is a battle for your soul each and every day. And as soon as I leave here today, and I think, man, I've got it together. I prayed with my brothers and sisters, and now it's good. Something's going to jump up, isn't it? You live life. We talked about speeding in in class. I wouldn't recommend talking about that. (laughs) 
when I first, when I was still at Harding, uh, I interviewed at a church over uh, close to Woodlands. And uh, the first thing I did was go and meet with some of them and, and go out to eat. And the first thing like, an older couple said, like kind of wide-eyed and very serious, do not drive the speed limit here. You will die. <laughs> Stay with traffic. I mean, maybe God understands that one. I don't know. I remember following, well, Katie and Evan flew in a helicopter because he had breathing issues when he was young. And uh, I was driving and trying to get to the hospital. And I was the one with the kid going to the hospital on a helicopter, and I was being passed. And I was speeding. And, and so that's kind of the life we live. But I think about moments like that. I think about... Um, the way that we kind of deal with very difficult moments, where in this case, my son, who was about 10 months old at the time, he made it, by the way, he's here this morning, he's okay. <laughs> but we didn't know at the time. We weren't sure what was going to happen. And there is no slower clock on the wall than the one in the hospital room. Let me just tell you that right now. Because in that moment, you begin to regain your focus. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Because in that moment, there is no question about priority. There is no question about what comes first. I no longer care what the Razorbacks did on the football field. Don't care. I no longer care about how much money I'm making a year. And I certainly don't care about how much money you're making. Because in those moments of trial, those moments where things are just coming at us faster than we can process, faster than we can even rationalize an answer, we regain a focus that we should try to have a lot of the time, shouldn't we? There are weeks that go by and it's Sunday again and I'm going, where did that go? But every single day is another battle. Whether you understand you're a part of it or you don't. And I hope you understand that you are because if you're walking around in this life not understanding what Satan, what evil is trying to do to you, Scripture says Satan walks around like a roaring lion, just waiting, just ready to devour. Let us not be people who are walking through the African safari clueless, bird watching all the, no, no fifth ball. <laughs> Never looking around, but always somewhere else. Not being aware of our circumstances, not understanding the state of what we're going through. God is in control and God is a God of love. And though we read this morning about uh, the judgment day and some of the bad things that can happen, that only happens when we choose something other than God. So this morning, I'm just going to ask you this morning, choose Jesus. We're going to sing a song right now. We'd love to pray with you. Would you come as we stand and sing?